Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Ashley Smith, and I'm the university intern here at First Pres. This week, we begin to study the parables of Jesus in Mark. Jesus teaches in parables to reveal the mysteries of his kingdom and our relationship with the king. Do you have ears to hear? Join me in reading Mark 4, verses 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Thank you very much, Ashley. And again, I welcome everybody to worship this morning. If you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 2, I encourage you to keep them open. If you want a Bible, you don't have one on your phone or an app, we have a whole uh, rack of Bibles right by Callan. Callan, can you wave at the Bibles? Yes. Feel free. Uh, he's so good. Him and Vanna White just have it down, don't they? Um, and so if you want to get up and get Bibles uh, or have one brought to you, we can make that happen. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 4. As you turn there, I want to ask a question to you. Have you ever been accused of having selective hearing? Or do you know anyone in your family that has selective hearing? That is, they tend, or you may tend, to hear some things and act on those and completely not hear other things. Uh, some people in my home have selective hearing. When we ask for things to be cleaned up, nobody hears. But when we say it's time for dessert, everybody comes a running. You know what I mean? It turns out that selective hearing, it's, it's actually a thing. <laughs> I looked it up on the internet, so it's got to be a thing, right? <laughs> and it's apparently a way that our brains prioritize the things that we hear. There's no way that our brain can process everything as top priority. So selective hearing, it's actually a thing. And as we study parables, today we want to set the table, so to speak. And what else is actually a thing that Jesus diagnoses is how our heart responds to the priorities that we establish. This is to say that the way we hear spiritually depends upon the fertile nature of our hearts demonstrated in priorities. So before we unpack the word of the Lord, will you go with me to the Lord of the word and ask for his mercy? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And in this long weekend where we 
are thankful for the men and women who have sacrificed their lives for our freedom. Uh, Lord, those that are serving in our military, we pray you to bless them as we thank you for them. We ultimately, Lord, want to thank you for the greatest sacrifice that comes to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love displayed in his life for us. And we pray now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would touch us and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to uh, highlight the importance of the context of today's passage right before this teaching. Uh, Jesus has redefined who his family is. He's been in someone's home and someone said, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters are out there. And Jesus says, those who are my mother and, and my brother, my sisters, my family are those who obey the teaching of God. That is those who hear and demonstrate faith in God's word through obedience. Now, this is just the most recent episode that, that Jesus gives in the context of, of his authority. Now, Jesus has been establishing his authority as king all through the first three chapters of Mark. You'll remember, Jesus demonstrated his authority over evil spirits by casting out demons from someone. Jesus demonstrated uh, his authority over even paralyzed men, where Jesus commanded him to get up and walk. Jesus demonstrated his authority over sickness, even unclean sickness, like, like leprosy, a skin disease. And all through the first three chapters, as Jesus is uh, revealing his authority as king, he does so in a way that not only authenticates himself as the messenger, that is the son of God, but also authenticating the message that he has been teaching. Each miracle demonstrating his authority also validates different teaching that he has. You'll remember most recently when he healed the man's withered hand, he's saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. That's why he can heal on the Sabbath. He's God, he's the bridegroom. Remember when he, he, he calls the, the paralyzed man to walk, he said, you, son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> and the Pharisees said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, to show you that I am the son of God, I say to this man, get up and walk. The authority that Jesus demonstrates physically authenticates him as the messenger of God, God himself, and the message that he taught. And this is significant because people are gathering around him in today's episode. They're crowding in on him. They're so crowding in on him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that he has to make a boat his pulpit. He gets into a boat and obviously the water helps with acoustics so he can speak more broadly. But Jesus is, is teaching. And this is highlighted by the first word of, uh, of verse one of chapter four. Again, <laughs> he began to teach Beside the sea, a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat and he sat in it and the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. Verse two, he was teaching them many things and in his teaching, he said to them, what was Jesus doing? Teaching. It was repeated three times in two verses. Jesus taught all kinds of different places in the gospel of Mark. It's kind of fun to, to do a little study on it. He taught on a mountain. He taught in a desert. He taught in a cemetery. He taught in people's homes. He taught crowds, he taught individuals, he taught men, he taught women, he taught outcasts, he taught religious leaders, he taught political leaders, he taught demoniacs. 
Unclean people, Jews, Pharisees, non-Jews, Gentiles. And it's important to note where he taught and who he taught, because I guarantee you this very large crowd that Mark describes, it's comprised of all of them. They want to hear and see the authority of King Jesus. And look at verse two. I mean, if I've got that kind of crowd, I guarantee like I'm pulling out like my best teaching. It's just like, I'm gonna like do my best like wizardry of the word, you know what I mean? But Jesus teaches in parables. He teaches in parables. What, what is a parable? <laughs> when I was a youth leader of this church, like uh, back before electricity, a long time ago, I remember asking the youth group, we were going over parables, and I said, hey, what's a parable? And it was Luke Siracus who said this. Parents uh, are Deborah and Bill Siracus. He's you know, a great guy, still lives in the city. He said, in front of everybody, I said, what's a parable? And he goes, two bulls. <laughs> All right. I was like, no, a parable is not a pair of bulls. You get it? Yeah. A couple of y'all are like, oh, I get it, parables. <laughs> Yeah, okay, all right. So it's not that. A parable, it's, a, it's like an earthly story with a heavenly and spiritual meaning. It's a language from a fallen world that teaches the reality of, of the redemption that we have in the king. Uh, a parable is something from this temporal place that we live, a story. And the story invites us in to teach us eternal truths. And the specific content of the teaching is found in verse 11. If you have your Bible still open, Jesus says that when he's explaining this, we'll talk about this next week. He says, to, uh, to you has been given the, quote, secret of the kingdom of God. The content of parables is the mystery of the kingdom and of the king. I really like the way that one commentator said it. Uh, bear with me as I read this. The Greek word that's translated parable, it means literally to set one thing beside another. That is to draw a comparison between two things and to show an analogy. Parables are like this is like that. And we call those similes, sometimes metaphors. Uh, parables of Jesus teach us about the kingdom of God by comparing it with vivid and concrete situations in our world. Now, that's a parable. And we're going to talk about the content of this parable next week. I'm very excited. As we look at the different kinds of soils next week, I'm actually bringing a friend in. Uh, we're going to preach through this, but I've got a friend coming. His name's Jarrell Flowers. And he's a church planner, uh, Rise Movement in our city. And he's going to do a spoken word for us next week that is a real modern day, I think, use of the beauty of, of contextualizing the gospel. And he's going to knock your socks off. But the word and the spirit will impact you even more. Today, we're not going to talk as much about the soils as we are what I think is the main part of the passage. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Do you have ears to hear the mysteries of the kingdom? Well, the Lord wants you to, and that's why uh, he uses parables. There's real power in parables. And this is the next thing that I want to see. It gets to the heart of the king, 
and those who are in his kingdom. Do you have ears to hear the mysteries of the kingdom? Now, to illustrate this, I want to give two parables that you're familiar with from the Old Testament. The first is from King David. You might remember in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David, king of Israel, had his heart convicted by a parable from Nathan the prophet. Nathan was a non-writing prophet. David was king of Israel. And in a time when kings normally went out to war, David stayed home. He wasn't on the battlefield. He was on the roof of his palace. And he was surfing the web. He was looking in all of his free time. He was surfing the web of sidewalks and alleys and rooftops that were below his palace. And then he stopped because he noticed a woman who was bathing on the roof named Bathsheba. And just like Adam, David saw, he desired, and he took. He took Bathsheba, another man's wife. She became pregnant. And to cover up his sin, he had her husband executed. And after all this happened, David was walking around in his palace and Nathan the prophet came to him. And how did God teach David the mystery of the kingdom? That is that all of us are sinners with sick hearts that need forgiveness. He did it through a parable. And Nathan told him a parable because parables are easy for us to access. They're a place where we can be neutral in identifying ourselves in the parable with situations that are not morally neutral. And Nathan says, hey, you know, king, uh, there's a guy in your kingdom who has a whole lot of goats and sheep and, and he had a visitor come. And this visitor, uh, he wanted to entertain, but instead of using one of his own goats and sheep, you know what he did? He had a poor neighbor and he took one little ewe lamb, the only ewe lamb that that neighbor had. The family had raised it, the children had named it, and he took this ewe lamb from his neighbor, he sacrificed it to show hospitality to his guest. And David entered into that story. And he said, that rich man deserves to die. And Nathan gave the point of the parable when he said, behold, you are the man. And David heard the truth of the kingdom, the mystery that only in the kingdom of God is every single person deserving of death for our sin. Not even the king of Israel is exempt. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. I am not exempt of this. You are not exempt of this. David was not. He repented. He wrote Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. But another parable, another parable reminds us in the Old Testament of the security, the security, easy for you to say, Mitchell, the security that we have in God's unconditional love. That's the prophet Hosea, whose life was a parable. And if you're anything like me, it's difficult to understand the mystery of the kingdom that only in the kingdom of Jesus are we loved unconditionally that were accepted on the work of another. And Hosea was a prophet whose life was his message. And God called him to speak about his unconditional love for Israel. And Hosea spoke with his lips, but first he spoke with his life. And Hosea went and married a woman of ill repute, a prostitute. He married her, had kids with her. She left him. And then Hosea was told by God to go buy her back, to redeem her. 
And Hosea did it. He went and bought her with raisin cakes and like weird things like that. And he redeemed her and she became his wife. And God said, that's your message, your life. You tell the people of Israel that I love them, that they're my bride and I'm the bridegroom. And no matter what sin they've committed in their life of rebellion and adultery, I will buy them back. And we learn the reality, the truth of that parable and the prophet that is greater than Hosea that came, Jesus Christ. He's the one that redeemed us from our sins. All of us who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he has redeemed us through giving his life. Jesus is the only one who truly lived his message with his life. He was the message and the messenger. You see, parables are powerful because they're practical. And they invite us in and they reveal mysteries of the kingdom. In the Old Testament, this reminder that we all need grace and, and that God is eager to show grace when we turn to trust him. But Jesus uses very earthy parables all through to demonstrate that the, the kingdom of God is for all of life. It is not part of this secular, sacred dichotomy that we have created in Western culture resulting from the Enlightenment. But the king who is Jesus, wants to rule in you and through you. Colossians 1 says that we, if you believe in Jesus, we've been ripped from the domain of darkness, transferred in the kingdom of God's beloved Son, through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And our life should be one of obedience to him as a response to his grace. And Jesus uses parables to teach this, very accessible economic parables, parables that are about business, parables that are about family, fathers and sons, uh, parables that are very easy to identify with, like when you lose something and you have to look for it. He uses stories that are very accessible for us culturally, stories of marriages. He uses stories from the government. He uses stories from, from court. You remember the persistent widow that Jesus talks about in Luke 10. Uh, Jesus uses places for his parables that we can all find a seat in, uh, like the meal when we're, he's telling a parable about where we are to sit at a table when we're invited to a banquet. He talks about work and vocation from construction to real estate to farming and agriculture. He challenges our hearts and what we hear in regards to the priorities of this world. That is where we keep our treasure. The kingdom of God is for all of life. And so Jesus teaches in parables that involve all of life so that people with ears to hear can understand the grace of God and what it means to live for the glory of God in everywhere from our family to our friendships and our vocations and how we voluntarily use our treasure. Jesus wants his kingdom to infect and rise every aspect of our life. And we have a hard time with that often because we don't have any good models. Too many Christians just live in a secular sacred divide. That is, I believe holy things are, have to do with church and Bible studies and prayer groups, but you know, everything else, that's just kind of like free reign, wild west frontier, like Texas 175 years ago, right? But that's not true. We do have some good models, actually. This week, I was humbled by uh, Francis Collins. He was, he's the head lead gen, gen, uh, geneticist in all the world. I mean, this guy is brilliant. And he was interviewed by Stephen Colbert, <laughs> of all people. And uh, Colbert just gave him an unbelievable platform. 
This guy's a scientist. He was an atheist who became a Christian because a patient evangelized to him. It actually reminds me of Will, our friend who led uh, a doctor to Christ in Houston. Francis, in the same way, Francis Collins was led to Jesus by a patient, and he ended up leading the Human Genome Project. I mean, just literally, they had geneticists in the world. And he said, because he's an evangelical, he sees science as worship. He said, the more I do my work, and you can see the interview online, he said, I do my work well as a scientist because I'm a Christian. I don't agree with everything Francis Collins believes, but I definitely believe this, that when you belong to King Jesus, then his kingdom infects all of life. And whether you're a king like King David, God wants his kingdom to be shown politically. Or you're a scientist like Francis Collins, or another kind of doctor, or another kind of mom or dad, another kind of businessman or woman, another kind of neighbor. Jesus wants his kingdom to infect all of life. You see, David, when he repented, he wasn't told, okay, now you're ready to be a priest. Come on in here. He was commanded to be a different kind of king. And that's what God does to his people when we repent and believe the mystery of the kingdom that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and unconditional God shown through, uh, unconditional love shown through Christ alone. Then we learn to live for the glory of God alone in all of life. That's purpose. That's power. And the paradigm of the parables is, is the last thing we're going to look at here. It's, it's weird because Jesus, he says again and again, those who have ears, let him hear. This selective hearing that we, we prioritize with our brain, that which we hear and listen to. Jesus takes down to a heart level that, that which we obey, that comes from our priorities as well. And let me tell you, when your heart has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a fruitful place for his word to come in. This is how Jesus begins his parable. You who have ears, let him hear. Look at verse three. Jesus begins with, listen, listen. Now, if you remember elementary school, and some of you all are teachers in here trying to forget this past year of elementary school, you might remember your teacher or your coach or somebody saying, okay, everybody, time to put your ears on. Everybody put your ears on so that you can hear what I've got to say. And you have to ask, is that what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus just telling all these crowds, put your ears on. The king, get ready to talk. Listen. Well, actually, yes and no. In one sense, Jesus wants everyone to have ears to hear, to put your ears on. But no in another sense, because not everyone has ears to hear. That's the main point of this passage in verse 9. And he said at the end of the parable, he who has ears, let him hear. This word here is repeated all through this section in verse 3, in verse 9, in verse 13, in verse 23, in verse 24. Jesus wants us to have ears to hear. And not everybody does. If you look down with me in verse 10 and 11, 
when Jesus was explaining to his disciples about the parables, he said to them, to you, it's been given the secret of the kingdom, but for God, uh, of God, but for those outside, everything's in parables so that, and then he takes from the prophets, the priority of the past, they may indeed see, but not perceive that they may indeed hear and not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. (laughs) What? You mean some people are intentionally hard-hearted? You know, hard-heartedness is not only God's fault. Jesus takes this from the prophet Isaiah, the, the prophet who is called to speak, who has his lips cleansed with the coal. You remember that. And he's letting him know, as with Ezekiel, this is going to be a tough call. But you'll remember Pharaoh. Pharaoh heard the word of God through Moses And 12 times, his heart was hardened. Six of those, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Six of those, God hardened his heart. The word of God, it just just is unbelievably dynamic. But not everybody has ears to hear. That's a priority from the past. And somehow, Paul says in Romans 9, that he has mercy on whom he has mercy, and, and he hardens on whom he'll harden. It's not for us to understand. My question for you, do you have ears to hear? And my promise to you is the promise of Jesus that he wants all of you to hear. And only by his Holy Spirit can we really be open to hearing. It's also a priority to the present. Jesus is talking to his disciples in live time. But when you get to the book of Revelation, when Jesus resurrected, is talking to the seven churches, the pastoral letter that is the apocalyptic revelation uh, that John gives from the Isle of Patmos in chapter two, four times, in chapter three, three times, in chapter 13, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. And the last time Jesus does that is this, Uh, in the context of the Antichrist, that there is false teaching out there. And he longs for his people, for all people, to hear his message. Let me ask you, do you hear the teaching of Jesus? I think the first question I need to ask you in in our application as we finish up is really, how's your heart? I was in a small group years ago, Lisa and I, our family was, and I remember there was this guy in there named Ross, and I started uh, uh, the discussion time, and I asked Ross, I said, Ross, how's your heart? And he leaned in and goes, who told you? I've never told anybody in St. Louis. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, I had to have heart surgery when I was 13. Who told you? I was like, I'm not talking about your physical heart, man. Like spiritually, like how's your heart? He was like, man, I never thought about that. How is my heart health spiritually? Am I soft to God's word? Am I uh, allowing myself to be blessed by the struggles of life and the teaching of Jesus? Or am I getting harder and harder and harder, more bitter? How's your heart? I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. Are you soft? Softened by grace and love? Open to the word being sown? The next question is, do you hear? Honestly, are you hearing God's word? Are you wrestling with the implications of Jesus's teaching? Are you being transformed or are you ignoring, too distracted? The spirit of God empowers us to wrestle with his word. Do you believe his promises in your heart? I'm with you. 
I'll never leave you or forsake you. I forgive you. I love you. I want to heal you. Do you hear it? Or do you hear his teaching? Love is I have loved you. Forgive is I have forgiven you. Serve as I have served you. Give generously as I have given generously to you. Die to yourself so that others can live just as I've died so you can live. Do you hear? Third, is the kingdom of God displayed in your life, in your labor, in your love, and by your lips? Because people who really have ears to hear, everybody sees that they have a different authority than the culture's authorities. You have a greater authority than the economic bottom line. You have a greater authority than your own schedule. You have a greater authority than tradition or routine. You have a greater authority than your own desires. That authority is King Jesus, and his rule infects all of life. And the final question, just to diagnose how your heart health is spiritually, is there fruit coming from your life? And Paul calls uh, hearts that are softened by the Spirit to receive the word, uh, those are hearts that bear fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy, peace, patience, humility, and self-control. Paul would say when he goes to Romans that he is preaching so that there might be a harvest among you. The seed that Jesus sows, it's plural. It's his word. It's all of his teaching. And it is coming alongside of us in life, begging us to understand the mystery of the kingdom. By his grace, we can be forgiven. And by his unconditional love, we can be redeemed, restored, and obey that he might get glory in all of life. Do you have ears to hear? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your grace. We thank you for the power of the gospel for all who believe. Lord, I know there's people in here that are struggling to believe, struggling to believe that they can be forgiven, struggling to believe they can trust your love. Lord God, would you touch them by the power of your Holy Spirit? Lord, there's others in here that know they haven't been listening, that they've even stopped wrestling, that they've stopped hearing and believing your promises, that they've stopped hearing and doing your teaching. Would you embolden them with your spirit to hear freshly? And Lord, for all of us, I pray that we would be fruit bearers, that the spirit of God that touches our heart as children of God would transform us more and more into the image of God that we might live for the glory of God through displaying fruit of the spirit. We pray that you would do this Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Would you please stand and respond to this uh, word of God through singing worship to God.